Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. In the scholarly literature, it's referred to as SEM. That stands for Sexually Explicit Materials. I have downloaded a tremendous amount of research over the last few years about what's being done out there on the Internet and otherwise, and what's concerning or what's being referred to as SEM, or Sexually Explicit Materials. Uh, It's more often simply referred to as porn, which is short for pornography. People talk about it all the time. As a matter of fact, I was flipping channels the other night and saw someone make a statement on one of the talk shows that everybody watches porn. We all know about that. I've actually heard some celebrities. As a matter of fact, I'll leave one unnamed. She's, well, not quite as popular as she used to be. But she said uh, a year or two ago that she loved watching pornography and that she thought marriage was outdated. As a matter of fact, those two things might actually go together. I attended the World Congress of Sexual Health in Sydney, Australia a few years back, and one of the subjects of debate was whether or not marriage really is over, and part of the reason that was being debated was because of the advent and the increase and now the uh, just everywhere amount of pornography or SEM, sexually explicit materials. Basically, what was being debated was this. Take all the problems that exist with marriage now, and add to that the fact that We have a generation that's being taught sex primarily by the internet pornography. And therefore, the expectations they're going to carry into marriage about sex are not going to be fulfilled by one partner. Therefore, they're going to be expecting their partners to want to have sex anywhere, anytime, in any way, doing all kinds of things. And even the porn stars don't live those kind of sex lives. I mean, they are human beings as well. There are days when they don't want to have sex. There are days when they're not excited about doing all the various things they do on screen. They get paid for that, as you would understand. And so the debate raged. Is it over? Is marriage over? Because the sexual expectations of the generation being raised with their sex education being internet pornography are not going to be fulfilled, some of them arguing, is not going to be fulfilled by one partner. Therefore, it's either going to be open marriages where there's a lot of different partners or or marriage itself will just simply fail. Now, if you think that's a ridiculous argument, I don't know if it is or not. I do know that there are some couples out there who say that pornography actually enhances their sex lives and that they think it's a good idea and they use it themselves and they recommend it to others. On the other hand, I know there are couples out there that have stories And their stories are about the difficulties that have come into their lives, particularly into their marriage. It's because of the use of sexually explicit materials, or if we use the short form, porn. We have one of those couples with us tonight. I'll be bringing them on in just a moment or two. They actually live here in Middle Tennessee, where I'm located. We'll just use their first names. They are Rusty and Whitney, and they have quite a story to tell. Rusty, Whitney, are you there? Can you hear me? We are. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay, they're with us tonight. Glad that you guys are here. I know that you're calling from one number. Can you both uh, hear me and be able to talk to me without passing the phone back and forth? I'm assuming that you're on different uh, phones, even though you're on the same line. Is that correct? We're we're good. We can hear you, and and everything should be fine (laughs) technology-wise. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Well, welcome to the Joe Bean Show. This is Marriage Radio. And we have known each other for a little while. I appreciate you volunteering to come onto this program tonight. And so I'll just start off with this question. Why do you want to share your story with us tonight? Well, Joe, for us, um, as we've gone through this um, incredibly challenging time over the last few years of our marriage, we have experienced a tremendous amount of healing. And uh, we know that early on when we were facing those struggles, we felt utter and complete hopelessness at times. And we just wanted to be able to express to people that there, there is hope um, that redemption can occur, that forgiveness 
absolutely well, Rusty, is Rusty, possible. If I may interrupt for a second, if I may interrupt, yeah, you, I, I think we need to start back a step before that because you're saying you had struggles, there was redemption, there needed to be forgiveness. Yet the people listening don't know what that means. What? Why was there a struggle? Why was there a need for forgiveness and redemption? So let's go back and start at the beginning so that this makes some sense to our listeners here. Oh, the beginning. The beginning was years and years ago. I guess the root from the very beginning was that both Rusty and I, before we even knew each other, had both experienced um, sexual abuse in our past. Uh, Rusty was 10 to 12 year old, years old when he experienced sexual abuse from a babysitter. I was 16 in my first relationship when I was um, raped repeatedly over a span of several months because there were threats involved. Uh, both of those situations kind of led us both to have a very unhealthy view of sex. For Rusty, it was um, it was an older girl, and so he learned uh, then that if I want attention, it should be sexual attention, and I have to be good at it. And then he would go to school and see little girls who didn't look like the babysitter, and so he would turn on porn. And so from about the age of 11 or 12, he began to watch it very frequently. Um, okay, if I may me, ask a question here, at 11 or 12, Rusty, what kind of porn were you able to access at that age? Yeah, Joe, it really, I think like a lot of people who I've been able to talk to when it comes to pornography, it, it's really a progression. It, it started out as innocently as lingerie ads in magazines, and then it turned into finding a relative's um magazines uh and and looking at that and i remember from the first family computer sneaking out of my bedroom at night and and looking and and finding things um on the internet in the early days of the internet and that it was really that progression of of what seemed like just a simple magazine sitting around the house but as as whitney mentioned it was the fact that Suffering that abuse, I, I was looking for that similar person, mm-hmm. that similar situation, and I didn't, right. I, I didn't see that in my peers, and and so that led to looking at, okay, looking at pornography. And about what age were you when you finally got to the internet pornography? Um, it was early teens, I would say, uh, fourteen, okay. fifteen years old, possibly. Okay. All right. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, Whitney, I interrupted. I didn't mean to. I'm just trying to make sure I hear the stories we go. So you, just now we're starting to talk about you, Whitney. So let's move back into that, if we may. Sure. Um, so when I was 16, I had never dated another guy before. I had a good, solid family home, a very present father, um, but sex was not talked about in our house at all. And so when I went through um, those months where the, the, the rape had occurred, I remember thinking, you know, this must, maybe this is normal. Maybe this is why my mom didn't talk about it. Um, Maybe, you know, this is just kind of the woman's role or whatnot. And so what I learned during that time was um, sex isn't about love. It's not about me. It's not about feeling good. It's just about the guy. And it's about what they want when they want it, whether I um, say no, kick, scream, cry or not. It's, you know, so I just detached. I just emotionally detached and just, um, you know, you can't hurt my mind or my heart, but my body's here. And so, okay. you know, that combination of me to have that extreme and then Rusty to go to the other where he felt he needed the sexual affirmation to be, you know, affirmed and approved of really was, um, it was hard in the first eight years of our marriage. And we didn't know that that dynamic okay. existed at that time. Well, we if, just knew that it wasn't fulfilling. If I can, let's back up some now before you get into eight years in your marriage. You, this, this rape went on for how long? About five months. About five months. I am so sorry. And you were at 16 when that started. I am so terribly sorry that it happened to you. And so tell me how old you guys were when you met and how you met. Um, I was 24 and Rusty was 21. No Robin the Cradle jokes, please. And... Um, <laughs> We met um, at, he was managing a jewelry store, and I had gone in to have a repair done on a piece of jewelry, and he asked if I would be interested in working there through the Christmas season, and I declined at first, and then I went back a second time to pick the piece of jewelry up, and he asked again, so I said yes. So he hired me, he trained me, and about 
six months later, we were married. Okay, so six months from the time you started working there, you guys were married. All right, so, oh, so yeah. your early 20s, your early 20s, and you're married. I'm, I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that there were no conversations about your previous sexual experiences before you got married. Well, um, a little. Um, he was more forthcoming and talking about it than I was. And now, looking back, that makes sense. Um, to him, uh, and I think that's just part of the, this, the illness that comes along with pornography addiction, is the, um, well, the sex it, is kind of, it overwhelms your thoughts. And so it was constantly kind of in the forefront of his mind. So it did get mentioned a lot on his end. Not so well, I guess what I'm asking about is that, did he know that you had been raped and that you had sexual reservations and hesitations before you got married? No. We talked okay. about it after. Afterwards. Okay, so mm-hmm. you, got, you guys got married, and I assume that Rusty then, because of his porn use, and you can correct me. I'm just making assumptions here. We didn't talk about this in advance. But I'm assuming that Rusty then had certain sexual expectations based on his porn use of what it was going to be like and – is that correct, Rusty, that you had, that pornography had kind of conditioned your mind of what you thought sex was going to be like in marriage? That, absolutely, Joe. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that isn't, isn't talked about really in, in the mainstream conversation regarding pornography is that it truly affects your brain in a similar way to narcotics. Um, pornography releases those chemicals in your brain that causes attachment to occur and as strange as it sounds you can you can feel attachment to a computer screen if if you if you do that enough um if you watch that enough but for me what it really did was it was that expectation of all the time any time and a tremendous amount of variety in terms of what occurs in the bedroom and that was what I had been conditioned um, mm-hmm. for 10 plus years. Uh, really. Okay. So that's what and, you were expecting. You got married and you were expecting that. And yet Whitney had these reservations and hesitations. So how long did it take for sexual problems to begin to arise? Right away. Uh, right away. Even, even before marriage. Um, I remember Rusty told me he was concerned because I hadn't performed oral sex on him. It took several weeks and he was concerned about that because he thought, what if she doesn't? And then, um, you know, the expectation, and I'm speaking for him, but that's because we've talked about this enough for me to be able to do that, uh, was that I would greet him at the door with my clothes already off, just ready to attack him animalistically. And, you know, that didn't, that just wasn't a daily occurrence. And I guess I expected more of kind of a nurturing, protecting sort of role for him where he expected me to be kind of like the porn star, you know, and, and that wasn't in me. Um, I didn't see the thrill in that because sex wasn't about me. It wasn't about love. It was, you know, so. um, And Joe, what I would say to that is it wasn't as much a legitimate expectation as it was the, the desire. Like, Like that's what I felt I needed to be fulfilled. That was what gave me the level of attention that I that I craved, that I, that I needed. And it really was about attention more so than it was even the sexual piece of it. And that goes back to the, the abuse. That was the, the attention that I received from a female. Um, and, and that was the only attention that I received. And so that was the desire that I had. It, it wasn't that I literally expected her to greet me in the, at the door like that, but it was, absolutely a a desire that was there and so it caused frustration with me when that sort of thing didn't happen often enough or or frequently so let me let me see if i can understand what you're saying and correct me if i'm not getting this correctly i'm just trying to interpret what you just said so based on the experiences you had when you were young and you had the older uh, female who was your babysitter she uh, I guess she was aggressive sexually based on what you said, right? Correct. Okay. And so, and so your anticipation expectation is that if, if Whitney really wants me like that, my experience before when I was wanted, then it's going to be coming. So it's not just the sex. It's the fact of you wanting to be wanted sexually. Correct. That's part of it. 
Okay. And then, Whitney, I'm assuming that as this goes on, uh, did you feel that Rusty was pushing for things that you didn't want to do? And if so, how did you react to that? I did. Um, You know, we had three children in the first five years of our marriage. And so I was either pregnant or nursing (laughs) for five years almost. And, you know, there were nights that I was exhausted and I tried to put lipstick on and fix my hair and change out of baby soiled clothes, you know, when he would get home from work so I could look attractive for him. But my energy was low and, the you know, the desire for me was not as high as his was at that time. Um, and there would be times, um, a lot of comments, um, kind of, you know, flirtatious comments, which I loved, but it was kind of like at the end of the night, if, if, um, sex wasn't to be had or the level of sex wasn't at a, you know, an appropriate level of kinkiness or something, then I could sense a disappointment. Um, He would definitely make positive comments if it was um, sexier and seem disappointed if it wasn't. And that hurt. Um, There were nights that he might put high heels and a skimpy pair of underwear on my side of the bed to put those on. And I, that was kind of a, a trigger for me, um, kind of an immediate, like I shut down, kind of emotionally, I just sort of shut down. And okay, well, um, why, why, did that, why did that shut you down? I guess because it wasn't about, I didn't feel like it was about me. It was just about the sex. And I didn't see a link between the two. It was kind of like, um, you know, I want you to pursue my heart, not my body. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and that was difficult for me to understand. But you also have to understand my backstory created this distance from normal for me, too. So I don't know how that would have been different had I not experienced what I did at 16. And I want to okay. back up. I just want to say something real quick. Rusty's childhood before the abuse, um, I think, was a perfect path for him to lead into medicating in some sort of way. His parents were divorced when he was nine months old. His dad passed away when he was five, along with his stepmom and his half-sister. His mom was very busy with work and two other children, and he didn't have an overwhelming amount of attention at home. So that babysitter's attention was um, Mm -hmm. very much wanted, although not in the way that he got it. And so um, for him, the porn and the sex and the attention became a medicine in the Mm -hmm. same way that someone may have alcohol as a medicine or cutting as a medicine or drugs as a medicine – and that's what we wouldn't know until eight or nine years into our marriage. Okay, but you were having problems all through before the eight or nine years, right? Yes. Okay, so yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to what you just said. I want to ask you a question specifically about that. But before I do, let me ask this question. When I teach human sexuality at uh, Lipscomb University, I teach that in the psychology department there. I teach the students that everything that happens outside the bedroom affects affects what happens inside the bedroom, and everything that happens inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. Let me say that one more time. Everything that happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom, and everything that uh, happens inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. Now, using that principle, talk about how it was affecting the marriage other than sexually because of what was going on with this led to a a lot of tension and um, for lack of a better phrase, closed offness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Okay. It it would just, you know, if, if, as Whitney mentioned, if it wasn't up to expectations in whether it was her, whether it was a legitimate expectation I had or what she perceived to be an expectation, if, if that wasn't, fulfilled if I didn't make those comments the next day or the next morning then it it could easily cause distance in the marriage and and cause us to to shut down to each other and I mean there were times where we talked about or or it was brought up in conversation that we felt like roommates um and and struggled with having connection have true and genuine connection and intimacy really didn't exist very often in that time. Um, and using what you just described as inside the bed and outside the bedroom, what ha- has effects, it, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Okay. And 
So what kind of, how did it show up in other ways in your relationship? Like anger, fighting? Um, I, I heard the closed-offness. Was there anything else going on besides that? You know, we really never fought, um, and we always kind of prided ourselves in that. But I think that we didn't – maybe we didn't fight because we didn't communicate well. Um, we had – We fought very passive-aggressively is the way that we fought. That's true. And, and, yeah. and that was the closed-offness. That was shutting down. That was avoidance. Um, stonewalling. Yeah, sto- stonewalling. And that that's really how we fought. Okay, so you guys so just drifted further and further apart then. Yeah, we did. And, um, you know, I, we both had a desire to be closer, and we tried doing more date nights. We tried carving out more time, you know. Uh, if it wasn't, we couldn't go out on a date date, then we would try to do an at-home date night. Um, okay. We tried, you know, he would get frustrated because I might, fall asleep when I was rocking one of the kids to bed or I would get frustrated because he didn't maybe help enough with bath time that night or something with the children. And so we tried kind of divvying up responsibilities better, but really the root of it was we had no idea what healthy intimacy looked like. We sure were far, mm-hmm. far from what God intended for sex in a marriage. And I don't think that we knew that. I think that we expected mm-hmm. that we would just get married and the sex would just naturally be fulfilling for us both because married couples have sex and we were having sex. So why doesn't this feel more right? Um, And when we got married, I didn't know he was watching porn at first that came out later. And there were times Mm -hmm. that we few that we even turned maybe that on while we were trying to have sex. And that's so dangerous. And we know that now and would caution any couple against it. Let me make sure I heard what you just said. So, so you, Rusty, throughout this, were continuing to use pornography. Is that correct? Yes. I, I, there really wasn't a point in which I stopped. I mean, there may have been short times of reprieve, but it, it was ongoing. Um, right. Whitney, just, Whitney didn't know about it for – Right. I don't, even, I don't remember exactly when she knew about it, when she found out about it, but – I, okay, I so, so maybe I misunderstood. That. I guess I misunderstood what Whitney just said, so forgive me if I did. I thought Whitney said that at some point that you sometimes would share it. Uh, did I misunderstand that? That came years into marriage that that, that, okay. that started, uh, and it wasn't by any means frequent, but, but it did happen a, a, on a couple of occasions. And that was to try to stimulate things, I assume? Yes, that was me. Okay feeling that the only way it was going to be satisfying is if I was more like these women on the screen. And so okay. I was kind of, I guess, trying to, I felt like I was trying to educate myself on okay, what mm-hmm. is sexual for a woman. What, what am I supposed to be like? And so I looked to that to kind of okay. have a goal to shoot for because that's what he, I thought, you know, wanted, needed, desired. Okay. Which now, just made me feel more defeated. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it did. So now back to what I interrupted way back, and I'm so sorry. I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to hear the story in a linear fashion, so forgive me that I keep interrupting. I apologize for that. So now you're eight or nine years into the marriage, and then what happens? So we were at a friend's house, and um, we had just moved into a beautiful home, and things seemingly should have been going great on paper. Life just seemed to be flowing in a great direction, but there was a greater distance between us. Um, I asked the wife of the friend if Rusty had said anything to her husband about anything going on in our marriage, and she just went white as a sheet. And so she ended up sharing with me that he had been having um, basically an affair, but she didn't call it that, that there was um, of inappropriately close friendship, I guess you'd call it, with a woman. And I immediately threw out a name. I guess I'd had a feeling I didn't even realize I'd had. Over the course of the next um, six months, that um, story kind of came out in tiny, tiny doses. Um, And that would have been the most recent affair. That's when it kind of all hit the fan and fell apart. That's when we realized, okay, all these tiny efforts that we felt like we were making to improve our marriage obviously aren't working um, because this is the biggest fear, you know, we had was that this would happen. And then over the next two years and a month, 
um, there were two more disclosures, and basically there had been multiple affairs over the first eight and a half years of our marriage. Um, but you didn't know when, about those until eight or nine years into it. You didn't know when, there, when that was happening. The only one I had a feeling about was um, probably four or five years into our marriage, and I saw a message on his phone that uh, was not okay with me, and I made him call that number. Um, of course, she said that she had called the wrong or texted the wrong number, and I found out later that that actually was an affair as well. Um, so okay. that was my suspicion at that time. I didn't know about the others. Okay. Until so you're, you're now finding out there have been, you now find out there have been several. So when you found out, what happened? Well, the first one, honestly, I fell apart. I, um, I realized at that point that I had put my, I kind of, I had put him on this pedestal to kind of be my, um, we're Christians. I don't say this lightly, but like my savior, not like literally, but you know, just to kind of mm-hmm. be my everything. And all of a sudden at that moment, it just sort of crumbled. And I really, I just fell apart. I went on anxiety medicine. I took three or four months off of work. I was, I teach and I, I couldn't function at school. I would break down during the day. I started reading books. I blamed myself. I was trying to really dig deep about what had the rape done to me that made me um, too, you know, inaccessible to him or not sexy enough for him. I, I was certain that it had to do with I'm not thin enough, pretty enough, sexy enough, this or that enough, because neither of us understood the root. At that point, he actually went in to um, celebrate recovery because he thought that his problem was compulsive lying because he'd lied to me so many times. And through Celebrate Recovery, finally realized uh, because someone else's testimony that there was a porn addiction in it. Wait a minute, that might have affected something. Where did this all start and come from? So over the next two years, it really, uh, I mean, we hit the rockiest of rock bottoms. I wouldn't wish that pain on anybody, neither would he. Um, But slowly, one moment at a time, I can't even say one day at a time, but one moment at a time, we just kept trying to make the next right choice. And we tried really, really hard to talk to healthy people. Um, But at first, we didn't know what that was. So I guess in the beginning, we floundered a lot. We made a lot of mistakes. We did a lot of wrong things, but we did enough right things to get us to the next right thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, can you list just without without going into great detail? Can you list some of the right things you did, and then some of the wrong things you did? Again, we won't have time for you to go in detail, but uh, can you list some of those things? Yeah, I'll take it, Joe. I'm a little less detailed than Whitney is. <laughs> so, um, the right things, and and both of us agree on this. We pretty well immediately ended friendships um, with the wrong people. And that that was something that we, it was challenging, especially for me in one of those instances, because one of those friendships was really a, a lifelong friend and really digging into that situation. It was a toxic relationship, um, friendship that needed to end. And, and then we started talking looking around for help. We were just grasping at anything and everything that we could to to help us through this time. And so making sure that we stopped talking to the wrong people, we we started surrounding ourselves with the right people. We both started reading um, very often. We got with a good, I want to stress good Christian marriage counselor and individual Christian counselors. Um, A few well, more than a year plus into this time frame, we attended the Marriage Helper Workshop, and that was really a, a significant impact for me when it came to focusing in on the pies because I knew that regardless of what I did, if I felt completely healed and, and made every right decision, did every single right thing, I couldn't heal our marriage any faster. It it was going to take both of us. It was going to take forgiveness from both of us. Now, I definitely could mess up. I could absolutely make it worse if I, if I made poor decisions and did wrong things, 
Um, but it really helped me to focus on me and, and my physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual self. And, and that's where talking to the right people, reading good books, getting good help from good people, attending Marriage Helper really made a significant difference for us. I remember you we coming to our to workshop, but I can't remember when that was. It, um, how long ago was that? It was June of 2013, so almost three years ago. Almost three years ago. Well, I'm glad you guys came. It was my pleasure to know you. I interrupted you, Whitney. You were about to say something. I was just going to add Celebrate Recovery was huge in our healing process as well for each of us individually in different ways. Um, but it was just a remarkable thing to, to be able to watch, um, for me, to watch Rusty through this healing process. And um, I know for listeners it's probably confusing to listen to the, the story and then think, you must have been so angry and here you're sitting side by side and you're, you're able to tell it. The, this healing was not quick and it was certainly anything but easy. Um, but one thing that did grow our intimacy eventually, um, and I've learned that intimacy is not just physical, um, was being able to watch him go to celebrate recovery and you get these chips. It's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, except it's for any kind of hurt habit or hang up. And so his was porn addiction and, um, the lying. And so, um, watching him be able to get his one month chip and his three month chip and his six months chip, nine months, 12, you know, three year chip of being free from porn addiction and the repercussions of that has just been remarkable. And I get to sit beside him and I get to see that growth. And that's my husband. Nobody else gets to be by his side and experience that but me. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a cool feeling, and that creates a deep intimacy that, you know, I can see something inside him that nobody else gets a chance to look at, and that's cool. Yeah, and I, I like what you're saying about intimacy there. As you know, in our workshop and, and everything that we teach, we explain that intimacy has to do with openness and transparency and vul- vulnerability, which leads to closeness and, and a connection between two people. Are you willing, to, uh, you, got, you guys willing for me to get, start taking a phone call or two here? Joe, we can, can we, you asked a question that we didn't answer just a second ago, and if we take maybe two minutes, we can probably cover, and that was what did we do wrong? Okay. Would that be okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what what we did wrong, um, in, in my opinion, was disclosure took way too long. Um the the fact that I continued to struggle with letting Whitney know all that had happened, um, that disclosure was was drawn out over a, multiple years, and and that was detrimental. Um, also, questioning, and it's something you cover in Marriage Helper, and many counselors talk to us about it as well. Questioning. Um, endlessly uh, doesn't help anything um, it, it really causes more strain and you know obviously the questions were coming from from Whitney um, and so knowing how, how difficult that was and we both um, ha- had a very hard time with details of the disclosure that, that probably should have been avoided that caused it to be more difficult as well um, so th- that's answering the what went wrong question. <laughs> yeah, let me let me explain a little further about what you were just saying for our, our listeners here. What we talk about is that you do answer as many questions as it takes to create um, trust, where people know that where the other person knows that you're not trying to hide something. But what Rusty's talking about here is this: we strongly suggest mm-hmm. that you do not answer questions that create visuals. What we mean by that is this. If, if somebody says, did you do this with that person? Did you do that with that person? Then if you answer those questions, those create a visual in the mind of the spouse. And there's a couple of things that are bad about that. One is that it's just the spouse's perception. In other words, they didn't see it. So the visual they have, first of all, is not accurate. It's their perception. But secondly, and then more importantly, long after the individual can heal and move past it, the spouse who has that mental image has a longer period of healing 
And so while we're all for honesty and openness and transparency, we think that's an extremely important thing to do. We strongly urge that when it comes to questions that create visuals that you ask not to be able to answer those. Now, sometimes you will need a third party, a marriage coach, such as we have at Marriage Helper or a marriage counselor. If you're seeing him or her, the third party who can interrupt there and say, you know, I understand why you would ask that question, but let me as the objective third party point out that it's not going to be to your advantage to know the answer to that question. As a matter of fact, it's going to cause more harm than good. And so what Rusty was saying was sometimes these details can cause more harm than good. So yes, openness, yes, transparency, yes, honesty, but sometimes, sometimes with some questions, maybe not those details. So let's go ahead and, and we'll go to, let's see, this area code is coming out of Arizona. Hello, area code 480. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, Joe. Yes, um, first name, please. Yeah, my name is Tammy. Okay, have you got and, a question um, for a couple? Well, um, I guess the affairs that you had, do you feel that it was your wife lacked in something or did you feel that it was just something that you had to, um, I guess, fulfill in yourself and you still thought of your wife or, or was it, I don't know, I guess, was it just something that you struggled with because of your past or your, the pornography or what happened to you when you were a child? Cammy, I, I really appreciate you asking the question. And it, it's something that I understand the question and believe me, <laughs> Whitney has asked me that many times. Um, it had little, little, little to do with her. Um, my affairs were really me seeking that attention and there wasn't a level of attention that was enough because of that addiction. Pornography, as I mentioned early on, was a progression. It was magazines to worse magazines to the internet and then to people. And it's hard for many people to to understand that, but I really, looking back and and understanding everything that that I did and and that was involved, it was those affairs were just another level of pornography to me. Um, it could have been explicit text messages it it could have been the the interaction with someone but i i didn't look at it as anything that i was that whitney wasn't doing that led me to that it was just my in the desire the desire for attention is really what it came down to and that was fueled by the addiction that that i experienced may I ask a question here rusty about that so when that was going on did you actually ever really think about whitney in the terms of you know this is hurting her or was it almost like it was a separate world or separate event where that she wasn't even a part of it in any shape fashion or form joe the the truth is both um you know it, it would be a, a situation where I, I would leave an environment or i would stop a conversation that i shouldn't be having and i would immediately feel remorse and i would immediately struggle with what i was doing and i would pray that that it that i would stop and those things absolutely happened but also in the moment whether it was sitting in front of a computer screen or uh, in front of a, another person i was able to disconnect and it was like a different world mm-hmm. okay All right, i was going to ask you too because i i my husband was uh, he was introduced to porn at 10 and um he was actually raped by one of his father's affairs as a preteen. Um, and my dad, I was never raped, but my dad was an alcoholic and it was very vulgar. So to me, sex seemed dirty. 
and it was kind of hard for us, my husband and I, to connect at first. And then later when we, when I felt we did and we had, I didn't start finding out about his stuff that he had seen as such a young kid because he used to say how much he hated the porn because his dad would watch it and so on and so forth. He had a couple affairs on me. Now he's living with his girlfriend of, of, for about six months, and I think I've talked to Joe before about it was classic limerence to me, but then I felt like maybe it was love. And we, ha- I, from what I thought is we grew as I started learning about all this and we kind of got through it through celebrate recoveries, church, God, and then he just kind of fell into it again. And now I'm kind of struggling with going through now and I haven't spoke to him in about four months, but I kind of wonder if he's, he's never gotten help for his, what he has seen as a kid and all of the addiction. Jamie, what I will say to that is, you know, Whitney mentioned three years for me and and this past March was, I celebrate three years of, of being, I want to say free from the addiction, but I'll just say without viewing pornography, because I don't believe the addiction ever really goes away. Um, As I mentioned, pornography literally affects your brain. And I, I can say that I hate pornography. Um, th- there's an educational organization called Fight the New Drug that does tremendous work in terms of educating about how the effects of pornography. And I know that I can still be tempted if I walk past a Victoria's Secret store. So I turn my head the other direction. I don't watch certain movies that I would watch in the past because there are triggers there, even though I firmly believe that I have it beat, it it doesn't go away. And getting help for that, in my opinion, professional help. I I attended a treatment program, a a four or five day treatment program here in Middle Tennessee, and that made a tremendous difference for me. So, Tammy, I'm so sorry that that's (laughs) going on with your husband. It's obviously... You know, because of the fact that he's doing what he's doing and you've had no contact with him for four months, there's not really much you can do at this point. I'm assuming that even if you were to try something like an intervention at this point, it would be useless because there's no, there's no real, he doesn't, he doesn't care what you think or do at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And we were married 24 years and he was, people used mm-hmm. to say, man, all he does is talk about how much he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And I mean, I have boxes of like love letters and love everything, but I, yeah. he has told somebody that he didn't feel like he deserved me. I was too good. And yeah. then it, then it was like, I didn't give you enough attention. So he went and found it elsewhere. Yeah. And well, I'm unfortunately, just, unfortunately, and until he gives you opportunity. There's not going to be anything you can do. I am so sorry. I do hope that somewhere, somehow he finally gets the help he needs. The stuff from his childhood has got to be absolutely devastating. I know this is hurting you deeply. The one thing about limerence is it eventually will fade. It eventually will. Of course, it's up to you as to what you do in the meantime, while he's out there doing those things he's doing. Obviously you love this man. You can tell by what you say, but yeah. at this point, I don't think there's a thing in the world you can do, my friend. We're, we're going to go on to another caller here. Our heart is with you. If you can wait it out, there may be a chance down the road, but it may be a long way down the road, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm know. so sorry. All right. Thank may you. God be with you. Okay, now we're going to go to area code 703. I think that's a Virginia area code. Hello, Virginia. Yes, hello, Joe. My name is Stephanie, and I spoke with you actually for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, I had called and in the meantime asked my husband to the workshop. Um, we are separated, and unfortunately it didn't go so well. Um, he hasn't agreed to it. You know, I'm still praying about it and, and hoping that will change. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you all a question. Are um, journey, I guess, to this point was really started with pornography. Um, A few years, well, before we were married, um, my husband was very open that he had had an addiction and actually wrote about it on his his blog and was done with it and that sort of thing. And then once um, we'd been married a few years and had a lot of stressful life events, it was something that 
he returned to. Um, he's never gotten help for that. You know, it's always just been something that he's tried to do on his own with him and God. Um, so no out, other outside help. But um, when I was led to to ask him if he was involved in porn again, and he, he told me that he was, um, at first responded well during the initial conversation. And um, I'd found out that he had been involved in pornography pretty heavily for about a year. And once, a couple days later, once it set in, just kind of, just the devastation set in. And what really to me felt like an affair, especially because it had been going on for a year and I had no idea. So the betrayal and lies and covering it up and that sort of thing. So um, once the the pain of that set in, I do know that I did not handle it in the best way. I used words as weapons to to hurt him, and um, you know, I just and I've I've heard about different variations of the best way to approach it. But I would like to hear from either you, Joe, or from the couple. Um, what do you recommend when, as a wife, when you find out that there is there is a pornography addiction? Um, what do you recommend, what is the best way to handle that? Well, I think it has to do with where you are in the relationship. For example, if he's still living at home, there's, you approach it one way. If he's left you and gone off living on his own, you approach it a different way. So when you found out he was still living at home, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And when you confronted him with it, he said that he was doing it. At that point, did you ask him to seek any kind of helps? like through a 12-step program such as Sexaholics Anonymous or anything like that? I did not. Okay. And I'm assuming the reason for that is because he was telling you that he could beat it on his own. Was that what was happening? Yes. He had done it before, and, you know, he was just going to stop. And he did have a lot of remorse and a lot of shame. And just as the gentleman said, I mean, he he hated pornography. So it was this thing of, you know, the mm-hmm. shame that he felt for that. So... He just mm-hmm. really thought that he could he could handle it on his own, and he I think it did stop for a few months, and then it started again. And then once I found out about right. it the second time, I began to shut down at that point. And then within a right. year, we were another woman came into the picture because it you know it escalated, and then we're here we right. are you know separated. Right. Uh, well, you know I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic, and AA was good for me back in the day. And I can tell you that, at least for this recovering alcoholic, I hate alcohol as well. Yet, there was no way I could defeat it on my own. I had to have help to do so. I think the fact that addicts go back to their addiction repeatedly, you know, I think I've got it whipped. I think I can do that. Oh, oh, oh now I'm back to it again. No, wait a minute. I think I can do it. That's pretty well the way that addicts work, <clears throat> whatever the addiction may yeah. be. Now, the fact that he's with the other woman now, he's with her, he's living with her and all those kinds of things, is that correct? Oh, no. Um, he actually is, um, he never even admitted to being with anyone else. Um, it was a very, it was a, a confirmed emotional affair. I'm not sure if it became physical. Um, and mm-hmm. he actually has been one to seek validation from other women in an emotional way. He seeks that attention so I'm not even sure if the relationships have been physical, but there have been multiple emotional affairs. Um, but right. he just lives in an apartment. He's not living with, with anyone else at this time. Is he showing any kind of interest at all in wanting to work on the relationship in any way with you? He has not. He has actually, he's filed for divorce. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, he is saying that at this point that he's not interested in that. So I do feel that there is someone else, um, but he's not admitted, you know, that there okay. is, there is someone. Well, first of all, let me, let me help you feel a little better. I realize that you said you didn't react very well, but that's because you're a human being. I mean, if we all did exactly the right thing at the right time, it would be a different world, wouldn't it? But none of us, none yeah. of us is there. And I know that you probably, or at least I'm guessing that you probably have beaten yourself up a time or two, but thinking if I'd only done this, if I'd only said that, but you must understand that even if you had said perfectly the right things and done everything just in the perfect way, it still may have wound up being just as it is now, because that's what happens when a person's dealing with addiction until he is ready to deal with it. And typically that happens in one of two ways. Either he hits bottom 
and says, I've got to do something, or you create a bottom for him. Now, it probably is not going to be possible for you to create a bottom for him now. But back in, in the general way these things work, we have a thing called the intervention document. If you go to marriagehelper.com, 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 you can find there an intervention document that actually tells this is what you can do to help create a bottom that hopefully would not be as bad as the one they make for themselves. Unfortunately, when he has already moved out and is, is not wanting to work on the relationship with you, it would be very difficult for you to help him do that. Now there may be, there may be some people in his world. If there's anybody that still has influence over him, anybody that he still respects, such as a pastor or um, a brother or brother-in-law, parents, anyone, uh, even grown kids who have influence over him to the point where they could go and say, look, we are doing an intervention. We need you to stop this behavior. And if you don't, these are the negative consequences we're going to bring about. You can't do that. Even, even when he was living at home, it would have had to been somebody else besides you really to make that happen. If you ever want to go, you can go to marriagehelper.com, find the intervention document. It also has two 45 minute audios with it that you can listen to. They're all free. But the, the, what you try to do with those things is to get somebody to say, wow, I'm going to lose so much if I don't do something about this. Now, if somebody in his world can do that for him, wonderful. Based on what you're describing, it sounds as if that's not going to happen right now. Is that correct? Um, probably not. Um, he, well, I know what I did actually when I first found out about the um, pornography was I had reached out to a close friend of ours, a couple, um, who had, you know, and he, and they actually met and he gave him every man's battle and encouraged him to seek help. But uh-huh. at that time he wasn't interested in even reading the book. Um, he read a couple chapters, I believe. And, right. you know, he wasn't even interested at that time, even when he was motivated to quit to seek right. further help. The tough thing about addictions is until a person will take well, like Rusty. Rusty actually went to CR, Celebrate Recovery. He did the right kinds of things to do those things. I'm so sorry that's happening to you, Stephanie. I hope that you don't feel, I hope you don't allow yourself to feel guilty that you didn't do whatever at whatever time. You're a human being. You did the best that you knew to do at the time. And even if you didn't do the best you knew at the time, you're a human being. We get angry. We get hurt. I just hope you don't beat yourself up because that is not going to help you at all. If ever, yeah. if ever anything is going to bring him back, it's not going to be you beating yourself up. It's going to be you being strong and working on the things you need to work on for you. Now, I'm not saying he's coming back. Obviously, his addiction has taken hold in many ways. But if he ever were to come back, it's going to be because it's a strong Stephanie, not a Stephanie that goes around thinking, oh, my goodness, I messed everything up. And so I hope mm. that you can find that strength within you, my friend. I really, truly do. Thank you. That is very okay. helpful. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. Rusty, Whitney, let's talk for a few more minutes. I think we're going to finish up without taking any more phone calls. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left here. If, if you were talking to teenagers, what would you guys be telling them about this? <laughs> well, we can tell you truthfully because we have – a preteen. Yes, two, two preteens in our house. Um, the last caller mentioned every man's battle. There is every young man's battle and preparing your daughter for every young woman's battle. And uh, we would have laughed at you had you talked to us five years ago about courtship before marriage. Um, and now that's a real conversation we have in our class. Um, what your body is intended for, who it is intended for having a full awareness now of how difficult and how much baggage you bring into a marriage when you um, don't do that part right, when you've shared that with others, when they've unwrapped that gift before you present it to your spouse, and how, how we wish we could have given ourselves to each other unbroken. And we didn't. And we went through the struggle, and here we are. But because of that, I think that we can very openly and honestly, and, um, and it, it's just ugly. You know, the story is ugly, but it's real. Talk to our kids about the difficulties that 
porn or, you know, so you date, you kiss, you want more, so you touch, so you want more, so you have sex. You love seven people before you get married. You have sex with those seven people. That's damaging. Um, so my my word uh, would be, um, you know, we're called to stand out, not to blend in. It's not popular to save yourself. It's not popular to stay pure. A lot of people um, say it's not possible these days. It's just not possible. You have sex before you graduate high school. I would say it's extremely difficult, but it is possible, and it's very worth it. Um, Joe, what, okay. what I would say, and maybe not so much to teenagers, but the parents of those teenagers, is just simply have the conversation. Be willing to talk about it. Um, you know, we didn't talk much about our parents, but Whitney's upbringing was sex wasn't even mentioned. My upbringing, sex was the only thing I ever heard was don't do it. And so there really wasn't any education. There wasn't any comfort level of ask mom or dad a question about it. That that didn't happen. And that's one thing that we're doing with, with our preteens is we use terminology with them that they're going to hear if they haven't already heard it from their friends because we want to be that safe place. We want to provide the truth to them instead of them hearing it from friends. So have right. the conversation. And kind of along those lines, um, what I am now able to experience with Whitney when it comes to sexual intimacy far surpasses anything that I ever experienced before, even between her and I early in our marriage, because it's done in a pure way. Now it's done in a way that it's supposed to happen um, with, okay. the, with pure right. eyes well, and a pure mm -hmm. mind. If I may interrupt, we've only got four minutes left. And there's one other question and, and we need to get to it really quickly. You talked earlier about the fact that there's not enough disclosure that it took too long to make disclosure. So you've got like, well, you have less than three minutes, three minutes. You've got to speak <laughs> to that. What about disclosure? If I'm afraid to tell my husband or afraid to tell my wife, how do I find that strength? How do we make it where I can be open and honest and, and disclose things I need to? So Joe, you said sometimes it takes a third party and I would absolutely advise that. Um, I know that in the way that we did it, it, drug out our pain. It, it, it extended the pain. It made the pain last longer. It made the pain deeper. It made the healing and redemption process harder. Had we been able to have a good professional to sit down with um, or even a close mentor, a pastor, a friend, someone that you can trust and have faith that loves you and cares for you, that you can guide through that disclosure process and get it out, then you're going to be able to begin the healing process faster. And it may not happen immediately. You could absolutely walk away. We both walked away from each other for moments. You know, we didn't stay away, but we walked away to get that distance that we needed. And when, when that happens, you come back and you communicate. And if it's all out there, then there's no more mystery. There's no more wondering what else is going to happen. What else am I going to find out about? Um, the lies can stop and the healing can begin. Okay. I really appreciate your openness and transparency, both of you on this program tonight. Thank you, Rusty. Thank you, Whitney. I appreciate you guys being part of this and sharing your story with people. I'm sure it will give hope to many. To those others who, if you're having a good counselor or therapist, good. Work with them. Those are good. If you would prefer or if you need our three-day workshop, we do an intensive three-day workshop. Where we'll explain a lot to you about how you can be open and honest and transparent with each other, the things not to do, the things to do, and help you create that. Now, we're not trying to take you away from your counselor or therapist if you have one, but we do that in our workshops. We also have a marriage coach that works with us. You can find out about what we do by calling area code 615-472-1161. That's 615-472-1161. Rusty, thank you. Whitney, thank you. I really appreciate you guys. you got like 10 seconds. What would you like to say? I heard only women call 
and whether it's men or women, it was one of the scariest things I ever did to stand up and say I had a sexual addiction, but it was one of the most powerful things I ever did as well because it opened my door to be able to heal and be able to experience a real, fulfilling, okay. loving, wonderful life with my Thank wife. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're out of time, my friend. Thank you both for being part of the program. I hope that many people have been touched for good. And to everyone, have a good evening.